Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison, in for Nomi Nujiadeen. Today is Thursday, May 19th. The Kansas Supreme Court has announced a landmark decision allowing a new redistricting map to stand, even though its opponents said it was racially and politically gerrymandered. Coming up, we'll learn more about the decision and what it might mean for Kansas politics. And after generations of protecting their amateur status, college athletes are now cashing in on endorsements. And the NCAA is still figuring out how to keep things fair. I think at the end of the day, the NCAA is, is doesn't have a lot of governing authority at this point, at least as it relates to the revenue generating sports. We'll find out more of how college athletes have prospered and at the same time carved out a new path for college sports. But first, some of today's top stories. It's a busy week for the Kansas Supreme Court. In addition to the big redistricting decision we'll hear more about in a moment, the state's high court is also hearing arguments in several other major cases. One case tests who can appeal foster care decisions. As Blaise Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports, the appeal comes from a grandmother who says courts wrongly denied her custody of her grandchild. A lower court ruled that the woman was not fit because she is disabled and a younger, healthier foster family would better serve her granddaughter. The woman wanted to appeal this decision but did not have a clear way to do so. Mitchell Engel is the lawyer on behalf of the grandmother. He says state law gives family priority when placing children. Cases like this are just going to keep happening. This court knew the law and consciously disregarded Kansas law. Attorneys arguing for the state say it did follow the law and found the woman was not fit to take in the child. They say she has not completed all the necessary steps to get her home ready for placement. Meanwhile, the justices will also hear arguments today in a case with potentially tens of millions of dollars in local tax revenue in Johnson County on the line, as Kyle Palmer from the Shawnee Mission Post reports. The case before the justices involves how big box stores like Walmart are appraised for taxing purposes. The retail giant contends that the county has overvalued its properties. A state taxing board agreed and said the county owes Walmart some $60 million in excess taxes. Walmart is relying on the so-called dark store theory, essentially arguing that their stores should be appraised as if they're empty. The county has argued that's not a reasonable standard, and if the high court allows the taxing board's ruling to stand, then local taxing jurisdictions, including cities and school districts, could lose out on millions more in annual tax revenue. Governor Mike Parson signed legislation Wednesday enacting a new map for the state's eight congressional districts. But as Jason Rosenbaum explains, the map could face a challenge in the courtroom over whether the districts are compact. Missouri's Constitution requires the state's congressional districts to be, quote, compact as may be. And some detractors have argued that portions of the latest map in the St. Louis area were drawn in a way that runs afoul of that provision. Jerry Griman is an attorney who was involved in a 2012 case that upheld the last congressional map. While he says the definition of compact is vague, not filing suit could guarantee eight uncompetitive districts for a decade. And I don't see much, you know, downside to, to trying, uh, you know, a lawsuit. You know, the only downside is whatever resources it takes to, to fund it. The new districts went into effect immediately after Parson signed the legislation. 
On the same day Missouri's governor signed that state's redistricting map, the Kansas Supreme Court upheld a congressional map that Governor Laura Kelly, a Democrat, had refused to sign. The Republican-controlled legislature passed the new redistricting plan over Kelly's veto this year, and a coalition of civil rights groups and Democrats objected in state court, winning a lower court finding that the map it was racially and politically gerrymandered. But yesterday, the state Supreme Court said the map does not violate the state constitution. I spoke with Dylan Lyson, who's been following the case for the Kansas News Service. Dylan, I'm looking at this two-page decision from the Supreme Court. There's hardly anything here. What did the Kansas Supreme Court say? Uh, well, in a very brief uh, opinion or a summary of an opinion, they said um, the map drawn by the Kansas uh, legislature for the four congressional districts in Kansas uh, was legal and will stand. Because it doesn't violate the state constitution, but they didn't say why. Correct. Uh, it was very brief. Uh, a full opinion is going to be coming later. All right. Then remind us what the features are of this map and why the uh, mostly Democrats who objected to it uh, did so. Well, there's two main areas in the map that were changed. Uh, the biggest is probably Wyandotte County, uh, which is a racially diverse voting group. Um, it was split in half and uh, moved uh, the northern half being moved into a new district, the second district. Um, and then the second uh, big change was um, uh, scooping up Lawrence, a Democratic stronghold in Douglas County, and moving it into the first uh, district, which represents uh, Western Kansas is heavily Republican uh, district. So Dylan, the defenders of the map, the ones who prevailed, including the state attorney general, what was their argument? Uh, well, they argued that basically, even if gerrymandering politically or racially uh, occurred, um, there is no state law or the Kansas Constitution does not say those actions are illegal. And um, the courts, uh, we, we don't know for sure exactly their thinking, but they basically said, um, that is true. The uh, the uh, plaintiffs, the people challenging the map, did not prove that the those two changes uh, violated the state constitution. But those who were challenging the map, uh, politics aside, said that certain things should not be acceptable. What was their argument about this map, the, the argument that did not prevail in the court? Well, on the racial side of things, uh, they said splitting the racial vote uh, in Wyandotte County was basically a violation of their voting rights, their free speech rights, and equal protection rights as Kansans who vote. Um, uh, and then in Lawrence, they argued that that was political gerrymandering because they were targeting voters who usually support Democratic uh, candidates and moved them into um districts that those votes are now diluted and don't really have much of a chance to support the candidates that they want to uh, vote into office. So by all indications, uh, primary elections just a few months away, the campaign now is moving forward on the basis of this new map. What impact do you think this is likely to have on the upcoming elections? Well, the person who's going to be affected the most is uh, Democratic Congresswoman Sharice Davids, who represents the Kansas City area. That Wyandotte uh, County portion uh, used to be part of her district and now no longer is. Um, so that district has gone from presumably uh, one that supports Democratic candidates to a very competitive district and may help Republicans take that seat now. Um, that's that's the major issue for uh, uh, the elections coming up. Do those who oppose this map actually have any recourse at this point? Are there any other court challenges that could still call these maps into question? Uh, the simple answer is no. Um, before this ruling, there was a question of whether it could be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, especially if the Kansas Supreme Court struck down the map. 
But um, today, the uh, civil rights groups representing the residents who challenged the map said they do not plan to appeal the ruling. So this map will be in place for the next 10 years. Dylan Lyson is a reporter for the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of KMUW, KCUR, Kansas Public Radio, and High Plains Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. Even though college athletes are not playing for pay, a U.S. Supreme Court ruling last year said the NCAA can't stop them from cashing in on endorsements. So some star athletes are making big money. Greg Eklund has more. For decades, the best player in college basketball typically quit school for the NBA. Not now. Oscar Shibwe is actually staying at Kentucky for his senior year. ESPN's Jay Billis praised his game at Kansas last season. And Oscar Shibway, Dan, has more offensive rebounds than any Kentucky teammate has total rebounds. That's how dominant he's been on the glass. Shibway is looking at possibly $2 million in endorsements by staying in school, money that two years ago would have ruined his college eligibility. The endorsements are linked to his name, image, and likeness. NIL in the new college sports vernacular, Nobody's penalized anymore for cashing in on it. And Billis said on nationally syndicated radio last week, it's about time. It's a multi-billion dollar entertainment industry that's run off college campuses. And the idea that we can do this and, and the essential workers being the players are going are gonna to remain unpaid is laughable. Though some players broker their own deals, endorsements are often arranged through collectives. Attorney Curry Sexton explains. If a businessman or a woman or entity um, or, or individual um, comes, to, comes to the collective and says, hey, we want to do a deal with, with X player um, and, and run it through you guys, well, then, then, the, then the collective serves as the broker. Sexton, a former Kansas State football player, sets up collectives through the firm where he works at in Kansas City. But the ground is shifting. I think at the end of the day, the NCAA is, is, doesn't have a lot of governing authority at this point, at least as it relates to the revenue-generating sports. Some schools and their boosters have used NIL deals as recruiting tools, both in getting players to transfer from one college to another and tempting high school recruits. It's becoming clear how much their names are valued. One website, for instance, estimates that Sean Davian Bradley, a football player at Platte County High School, could pull in $193,000 in endorsements, and he's only a high school junior. Yet Sexton says big payouts are limited to star players. In most cases, there's not as much money to go around. There's already an imbalance. Athletes and less publicized men's and women's sports aren't getting the same money as players in high-profile sports. Like men's teams in the NCAA tournament, Christian Bishop of Lee Summit played in the tournament with the Texas Longhorns. During the season, he made money on an energy drink, says his stepmom, Jennifer Bishop. He promotes that drink, which is actually fantastic. The Optimum Orange, it's our favorite, and it's actually in our fridge right now. <laughs> but Bishop's parents say that and a couple of other endorsements didn't add up to the price of an SUV. While a Longhorn football player recently signed an NIL deal with an Austin Lamborghini dealership. It's up to the states to come up with their own NIL restrictions. Missouri passed a law last year. Kansas has no law, and as a result, few restrictions. 
The NCAA, meanwhile, acknowledged the obvious last week. Collectives give boosters a visible way to pay players. But the NCAA said those boosters or their collectives can't explicitly promise endorsements to recruit a player to a school. Back in March, an NCAA promotional message concluded with this. To student athletes, every opportunity is a chance to change what could be and show the world what opportunity can do. And now, college sports are forever changed. For at least some players, that means real money. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Greg Eklund. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can find more stories at kcur.org, where you can also find our live stream. If you like Kansas City Today, help us out by sharing the show with your friends and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.